0: Market-moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations this morning. It is risk-off following those one-month highs from yesterday. Empire and retail sales for March were abysmal, the worst on record, below expectations. Oil below 20 again. And then these earnings from City Goldman Bank of America uh, showed the major banks are, as expected, Jim, uh, bracing for a wave of defaults, uh, some more than others when you look at the percentage of the total loan book at uh, JPM and Citi.
1: Well, look, I think JPM uh, is the one that suddenly people decided wasn't that great. Uh, when I look at it, I think it had to do with tone. Uh, JP Morgan. The, the crucial lines were actually some that that were uttered by Jamie, which were that look, May's not realistic. It's to be June, July. Uh, it, the problem with basing everything on that is is that you don't realize that these banks are much more, much better prepared than we thought. Uh, you'll have a city that's now down gigantically from its tangible book value, its actual. Uh, you'll have multiples that are are incredibly low because people feel that the dividends are in question. And yet you have just a tremendous amount of capital at these banks. Uh, so, I mean, look, I don't want to go against a market that has decided the banks are no good. Uh, but I will say that judging by what you've seen during this last 30 days, these numbers are better than expected. I'm not saying buy them. I am saying you, they are what they are. They're all going down. But I thought that they were in each case better than what the stocks are indicating.
2: David? Uh, Jim, you know, yeah, I'm here. Uh, sorry. Um, we saw the reserve builds yesterday from JPM, of course, and from Wells Fargo. We're seeing the same today. The question is yesterday seemed to go on, though, of course, was and as we watched those stocks turn around, particularly the bank stocks, the overall market, of course, up over three percent, was how much more? Uh, this morning, City obviously uh, also adds to reserves. They're now at $20.8 billion. 2.91% of overall assets. Goldman Sachs adds, I think, $930 million to its reserves. It's now at a $3.2 billion reserve position. Um, by the way, its investment bank had its second best quarter ever. Wasn't uh, that in weird? Terms of, uh, revenues. Yeah, $2.18 billion in the investment bank. And Bank of America adds $3.6 billion to its reserves. And in consumer, of that 3.6, 2.3 was for consumer, which I thought was somewhat interesting. But of course, given given their mix, understandable.
1: But the granularity is incredibly encouraging. Uh, uh, Brian Moynihan at at Bank of America does some remarkable work. And if you look at the state of Washington, things have leveled out there. I mean, they went down, and then they're okay. Uh, The actual whole volume of everything, if you just want to look at it, uh, for for Bank of America is not terrible. But Bank of America makes a case for state by state. Uh, Bank of America makes a case that, you know what, we should open some places. Maybe we should open the state of Washington. So I'm looking at all these banks through the eyes of what the governors will be saying and what the president's saying. And I was heartened by the fact that the state that did it really right, although it was in conflict with the federal government at times, makes me feel like Washington should be opened. Uh, and if you have more numbers that indicate that things went down and then are back up, not all the way back to where they were, and turns out February was an incredibly strong uh, month, then maybe you can open things. And I think isn't that really the debate with these banks? It's not necessarily what the dividends are. It's not necessarily what the uh, what the bad loan qualifications are. But what do they look like in terms of giving a signal that we can reopen the economy? And I guess when I'm saying that they're not that bad, I mean that maybe you can make a case that it shouldn't be so binary. But there's some parts of the economy that should be opened and maybe be opened next month.
0: So, Jim, we used to look at loan book uh, and slice it a bunch of different ways, exposure to energy, exposure to housing. Are we now going to start slicing loan books uh, via exposure to states that have reopened, exposure to Washington?
1: I I think that that's (laughs) going to be how we're going to look at it as a pastiche for the uh, overall economy and the stock market. I didn't like Wells Fargo's oil and gas. I just didn't like it. I mean, I, I think they could, they're could. The, they're the riskiest. I really didn't like the Wells Fargo call at all. I mean, other than some numbers about growing d- deposits, I got no surety whatsoever from Wells. Uh, Bank of America made me feel like, look, the country is on, in a slowdown. It's a recession. It's not a depression. J.P. Morgan, I don't know what to say. I mean, J.P. Morgan was the most touchy-feely. I wait to see what Wolf said, but to me, J.P. Morgan was like, hey, I don't know. It's all right. And then uh, I, I, I really like Bank of America. I know it doesn't matter. And then I really like Citi, and that means nothing at all. And I say that because Citi, it, 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 Citi is so far below its tangible book value that it simply cannot be explained other than the fact that we're going to be in the Depression. And I don't think we're going to Depression. Once again, I can see people saying, oh, my God, Kramer's so bullish. No, I see the damn stocks. They're going down. I'm just saying when you look at the makeup of the quarters, you actually have some reason to not want to jump off a cliff. I mean, I don't want to hang myself. Right. Here's a low bar. I'm not hanging myself after listening to the banks. There you go. Maybe Wilf will hang himself. He's right um. over there. <laughs> I love seeing another person. It's an incredible thing. I mean, he's distant from me. He's probably on the 20-yard line. And I'm the and I, I, I'm you know I'm in the end zone. But to see a person is hopeful. It makes me feel like something could be the way it used to be. Wilf, you look great. What else is new?
2: Well. Yeah. Wolf is like two people, too. I mean, he's so tall, you know, so he's got that going. Plus, for him. He's on the
1: phone. Um, he's making calls. He's doing things. No mask, Jim. He's like the president. Jim, Last time um, I ever compare him.
2: Yeah, I, I would not view you as being bullish right now, no. either. At least I listen very carefully to what you say. No, and but this David Dorman. You see that guy is the been.
1: chairman of CBS, what he said? Kramer's in a rubber suit. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm in a sand style? I'm Jimmy Chill. N- not yet. What did he mean by not rubber yet. suit? He used to um, live next door to me. But- he knows I don't own a rubber suit, but I did go as Gumby in 1999 I went out as Gumby. I think he's referring to my Halloween outfit.
2: That's always, I think that's a go-to, Gumby. It was nice to see Eddie Murphy reprise that, by the way. God, it feels like a long time ago. It really wasn't. Back to the overall economy, though, Jim. You talk about opening the state of Washington. Yeah. Obviously home to Microsoft, uh, the the stock of which is up 10% this year. But so many other companies that are in high tech, conceivably, providing software to small and medium-sized businesses. You can open up the state of Washington, but it doesn't mean that the companies that are based there are necessarily going to be doing particularly well as they watch so many of their customers struggle to pay bills.
1: Right. But if I were uh, the state of Washington, I'd say you could start having contract contractors doing a lot of work. They wear N95s as a matter of course. You can open up the doctors, open up the dentists uh, because they know how to wear masks. You can make a case that uh, people can gather in some way that that it does not make you feel like you're about to get sick. Uh, and the credit is not that bad. state of Washington's ahead of everybody else. Now, uh, Michael Corbett, they had Asia. Asia is actually very good. It was ahead of everybody else. I'm going to use the term that Larry Kudlow would use. There are some green shoots. Now, everything is so politically charged right now that there will be people who hate me because Washington is considered to be Democrat. So, therefore, I endorse something that was anti-Trump. And then there are going to be people who say they love me because I mentioned Larry Kudlow. I think it's not binary. There's some good news and some bad news. but That's not so bad. But if you look at Citi, Citi reminds me of Cal Fed in the uh, 80s when the tangible book value was twice what the stock was. But the tangible book value is scrubbed by the government. Citi was owned by the government for a while. So I don't know. I, I don't want to jump off a bridge, but I don't want to have a party.
0: All right. Those, uh, those are two extreme outcomes, right. Jim. you're uh, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Um, We're going to talk a lot more about the banks today. We're going to talk about these retail sales numbers, which are uh, breathtaking. But we got to get to the airlines and this $25 billion aid package that's been agreed to in principle with Treasury. And we're going to talk to Doug Parker later this morning. Let's get to our Phil LeBeau. Morning, Phil.
3: Hey, good morning, Carl. We'll talk about the aid package and why the airline stocks are indicating that they'll open higher. But I got to show you first the new numbers from the TSA. You know, we track this every day and they tell you, hey, here's how many people were screened, both in terms of passengers and crew members at all the airports in the U.S. Hit a new all-time low yesterday, 87,000. That's how many people were screened at all of the airports in the United States you have to wonder if it goes much lower than that but again 87,000 that's how much it was Yesterday, I know you see ninety thousand there. That was a couple of days ago. I gotta think that we're close to the bottom, guys. Hey, take a look at how the stocks are indicating. uh, They should be trading higher at the open, in part because they now have some certainty, at least over the next couple of months, when it comes to meeting their financial obligations. Now that they have reached an agreement with the Treasury Department on these payroll grants, we're not going to go down the road of all ten of these and how much they are getting from the uh, Treasury Department. But we'll talk about the big three. Let's start. First off, with United, it has not announced the final total, but it's expected it's going to be around $4.95 billion that it will receive, both in terms of a cash grant as well as a loan. 30% of it will be made up in terms of a low-interest loan to Treasury. Delta getting $5.8 billion. And then there's American... Uh, or excuse me, Delta is uh, 5.8 and American at $5.4 billion. So when you take a look at the big three, they're all getting pretty much close to what they were expecting to get, maybe a smidge less because... This is essentially oversubscribed. All the airlines came to Treasury and said, we want a piece of the $25 billion. Don't forget, we're going to be talking with Doug Parker, Chairman and CEO of American Airlines. You do not want to miss this exclusive interview coming up today on Squawk Alley at 11 a.m. And guys, really what I want to focus on with Doug Parker is not only the near term and making sure that they have the liquidity in place and the fact that they're going to borrow some more. He's already said that. But the question is, where is the bottom? When do they start to see some bookings whether it's in june july do they have any indication when they expect that to happen because right now guys there there's very little in the airline industry at least domestically in terms of when things start to improve at least a little bit
0: hey uh, phil uh just to clarify for viewers the no layoff agreement takes us through the end of september is that correct and the other thing I had for you was um, summer fares, which got ridiculously low, $90 round-trip New York to Orlando. I've seen some anecdotal evidence that those fares are actually coming up uh, for the coming months.
3: have discovered is it doesn't matter how low you go on these fares. We're in an environment right now where people either can't travel because they're not allowed to by their company or they don't want to travel. They've decided, you know, in this environment, I just, I don't want to be out. I don't want to go somewhere. Why should I go to a, a particular destination if the restaurants are closed, if I'm not going to be able to go out to the theaters or to theme parks, whatever it might be? So at some point, it becomes a little ridiculous in terms of how low you go with the fares. And I think all of the airlines have said, okay, we <sighs> believe there is a base. That's where they are. And they'll probably come up a little bit from there, but we're not going to see them skyrocket.
1: Well, Phil, if you told me that something was different about the plane, I am ready to travel. Maybe ultraviolet light. Right. Maybe they pull out some seats. I'm ready to go. My wife and I want to take a trip. We have some vacation coming. We'll go to a place that is that we know that is secluded, that's a retreat that we own, okay? We have to go through yep. Milan Airport. We don't like that. Maybe we can figure out another way. But can the planes be reconfigured so that we don't just say, you know what, it is a time, ton- you know, you're going right to the hospital when you land.
3: Uh, Well, they can't. theoretically, could they pull out some seats? Yes. Will they do that? No. Here's what the airlines will do. They'll do similar to what Delta has decided to do. Delta is not putting anybody in the middle seat. Delta is boarding people in groups of five at a time. And they're trying as much as possible to make it clear to people social distancing is what you're going to have to practice when you are flying. I expect all the airlines to move in that direction. And Jim, I've heard some people in the industry discuss, do we offer folks A mask when they get to the gate and they can say, you know what, I I may not always wear a mask, but I'm deciding I'm going to wear a mask here. Or when they come into the airport, when they before they go through the TSA checkpoint. Th- those are all possibilities. It's all about making people feel more comfortable and ensuring their safety. By the way, all the airlines, they're wiping down these planes. They're disinfecting these planes. Mm-hmm. If they're not doing it on a nightly basis in terms of their going through and disinfecting, they're pretty darn close. So they realize the importance right. of convincing the flying public they've got to feel safe. Interesting. Phil, the question that I'm getting this
2: morning in conversation, and you raised it already and will obviously with Mr. Parker, is... Come September or October, when this money conceivably starts to run out, are they going to need more? You know, given what we're seeing right now, those stunning numbers you're sharing with yep. us. And even if the idea of, a, of it coming back slowly over time, it's very easy to imagine they're going to need to come back for more money.
3: Yes, In in a word, yes, David, they will have to come back for more money. It's all about how quickly uh, travel comes back. But at this rate, they will have to come back and ask for more money. And we also could see some type of payroll reductions in the fall if things don't improve.
0: Phil, we'll see you later this morning uh, with Americans. Doug Parker, as we said, Uh, we got retail sales. We got Empire. And now we're going to get industrial production. Let's get to Rick Santelli.
4: Yes, Carl. Industrial production, this is for the month of March. We will potentially capture, obviously, some of the effects of the coronavirus on the economy. What I haven't captured yet is what's coming with the numbers, which are a bit slow. So let me go to the charts first. We'll get to the numbers. If you look at a two-day of two-year, and I picked two days because it's important to see how much the markets have moved with some context. Now, the two-year, the short end, is just compressed. You know, basically, in a macro way, we move from 25 basis points down to about 20 basis points. But as you move down the curve to 10s on a two-day of 10s, what you'll see is kind of 77 to 66, much bigger move. And the long end, of course, really is where the action has been. If you look at third year, even more dramatic in terms of how rates have melted down. And uh, finally, oh, here we go on the data. So down 5.4, down 5.4 on industrial production and, of course, You know, the last time we would comp this number, January 1946, January of 1946, when it was down a little over five and a half. That's where we're comping. Uh, Utilization rates plummeted to seventy two point seven. And of course, we still have more data to come with business inventories. Um, Dollar index is my last chart I want to go to. If you look at a two day of the dollar index, Wow, it is up about a penny. The dollar index rising here is just a barometer that the temperature of trying to procure dollars through this added volatility we've seen in the last 24 hours is going to be difficult. Some great stories on how emerging markets are trying to deal with it. All in all, rates down, dollar up, does give us a more heated temperature for the global economy today. Uh, Carl, David, Jim, back to all three of you.
0: All right, Rick, we'll see you a little bit later on. A beige Book, of course, at 2 o'clock. We want to get to our Meg Terrell as well this morning on a couple of stories, Meg. One is this report uh, that remdesivir uh, trial has been suspended in China. But the big news, of course, this morning is about this new serology test out of Abbott.
5: Yeah, Carl Abbott is announcing it's going to start shifting this antibody test tomorrow in the United States. So this is a test to determine whether people have already had the infection and it can test for those uh, antibodies that show up later, specifically testing for one antibody called IBG, which shows up a little bit later you've been infected. And it's expecting to be able to immediately ship almost a million tests this week in the US and 4 million in total for April. It's hoping to ramp up to 20 million tests in the US in June. And this, of course, is the third um, testing platform that Abbott has launched for COVID 19. It also has the rapid point of care test that can be done in 5 to 13 minutes throughput test that's done in labs. do millions tests. But of course, guys, you're hearing about all of the fact that being able to offer this different kind of test will help a lot in determining the breadth of the infection and also hopefully whether we have immunity, although the science is still a little bit of that question.
1: I think keeps haunting us and the bears keep going after me with is that, oh, okay, well, no, Meg. Um, it, it, OK, well, the, the thing that I'm trying to figure out, David and Carl, is if you've had it, does it uh, matter? I mean, you, maybe you can get it again. I mean, one of the things that's it's novel about, can I just say something? This thing's been ahead of us the whole way. It's been one step ahead of the posse. We're the posse. And now we find out that we're going to get the, the notion about whether you've had it. But maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe you can get it again. Uh, We thought mortality was going to be really low. Mortality in New York is over 6%. That is unheard of. We thought that this thing, you'd be able to detect it uh, when you first got it. We're only discovering right now that we have tests that maybe can detect it, the Abbott Labs test. But we also discovered that it's not well distributed because it's done by the states, and a lot of the states are then relying on the system of testing, and no one's ready for the testing. I guess what I'm saying is, is that every time you think we have this thing, And I'll include Johnson Johnson and talk about that on The Mad Dash. Every time you think we've got COVID-19, it outsmarts us. And we've got to start thinking as if it is some sort of fluid enemy that is just beating us and beating us. Hence why you have Dr. Fauci, who's really at this point antithetical to the president, Uh, because Fauci knows that this thing is uh, is triumphant so far. And the president thinks he's triumphant over it. So. We have to just imagine it as some sort of a of an amorphous enemy that is defeating us. And we keep thinking we have it and we keep being wrong.
2: Yeah, Uh, Jim, not to mention all the false negatives, I think, which you kind of potentially lumped in there as well, uh, which is scary also. You know, you you hear these uh, anecdotally, certainly somebody who tested negative numerous times only to wind up. Uh, very sick very quickly, and having it on the fifth time that they were tested, they, they actually found out that they, that they had it. That said, there is hope, certainly, for these antivirals. Um, they are moving along, some of them rather quickly. Now, some are for people in the hospital to be infused, but I have been talking, obviously, to, to uh, people that, I, that we brought on who are working on an oral antiviral. Uh, that conceivably, and is moving quickly, by the way, through trials in the UK, uh, conceivably could be something that treats people at home. Uh, the moment that they think they have symptoms, Jim, those are the kinds of things that are so gonna be have so that, important that's the as we home to test. bridge to a vaccine.
1: They're ahead yeah. of the, they're, that's the equivalent of the at-home pregnancy test that we've been waiting for?
2: No, this would be to treat the virus, but you to need to obviously it. know you have it. Right. right. So, you know, we're talking, I mean, you know hopefully by the fall well if that's if, the case if, then, if successful
1: then you can justify this move if it's not the case and everything and the thing keeps beating us the move is going to be back into ackman uh, dahlia which i regard as ad is meaning like it's like all over stone age no t-rex over there what do you say no no Stego.
2: They, hey, you know,
1: I think right. of the
2: dinosaurs as somehow a failure, but they lived for hundreds of millions of and, years. They
1: had game. We always did. Yeah, they're still you get yeah. them as plastic. You your kids. They're around forever. You think we'll be around. You think it'll be a little yeah, plastic figurine of Faber. Two thousand years from now. This, uh, destroyed by COVID. <laughs> Don't let oh, them get God. you, David. All right. Stay. We're
2: going to we're going to take on a more. I, uh, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm not. Apparently, I'm not going anywhere. And your home, your home is now the studio. Um, All right, Jim, stay there. Carl, stay there as well. We're going to be right back with a lot more. Of course, we are looking for a down open when the markets open nine minutes from now after a very strong rally yesterday. More Squawk on the Street right after this. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Uh, We'll uh, try for a little normalcy here, Jim, pretending that we're back in the old days. It's a hump day. Of course, Wednesday. You and I would always like to remark on that. And then for the mad dash, you're doing Tesla, which is a name we
1: used to talk about endlessly. David? It's his time. Goldman Sachs, David, none other than Goldman Sachs, which happened to report today. Goldman Sachs says buy Tesla. Why? It's an industry leader in EVs. It's poised for long term growth. David, they love the balance sheet. It's got six billion dollars in cash. They have the edge, the Model 3. It's uh, shipping and volume. Uh, There's, I guess, 15 percent unemployment. People want to snap these things up. It has a bleed in battery efficiency, David. All in all. I think that when, you, with, when you're having, about to go maybe into a depression, when you have dramatic uh, unemployment, what do you do? David, you buy the stock of Tesla. And doesn't that say it all? Blue chip, David. It does say it this all. This is uh-huh. a blue
2: chip. Uh, it, uh, apparently it is, with $130 billion market value, of course, up 70% this year. You know, on that note, Jim, there does seem to be, I don't want to call it the nifty 50, yes, but there's gonna... a group of stocks again that are in ascendance. Uh, we know what they are. I mean, Amazon, I was Microsoft, that. Apple, Tesla.
1: We were trying to make you an acronym, are. but it turned out to be the, a 50-letter acronym. I mean, it's like a whole scrabble board. But you know, <laughs> Netflix, Dave, Netflix reports, right? I mean, the race is to figure out how many new Netflix uh, customers they have. Is it like 200,000? Is it 500,000? I mean, hey, Tiger Pal, right? Tiger King? When the president was asked about Tiger King at the show, at the afternoon show, that was one of the best shows. Didn't you think? Yes, yes. Was that that a better show than last night with uh, Ben Anioff and the uh, uh, Blumenbrand and uh, Jean-Georges? Which show have you liked the best? I think the question about Tiger King showed you that Netflix was going to blow away the quarter. Uh,
2: I believe that could be the case. I have not yet viewed it myself. I'm not sure about you, but we are getting deeper and deeper into the catalog. Now, the question for all of these services, by the way, Jim, is they're not going to have a lot of They're not going to have a lot of content come the fall slash winter, given the lack of production going on right now. That includes, by the way, uh, our service at Comcast Peacock, which is having its soft launch today. Main launch, obviously, taking place later this summer, not associated with the Olympics that had originally been planned.
1: We need fresh content. Uh, But you're thinking so far, you're thinking, David, you're thinking so far in the future. Come on, this is now.
0: I don't know, Jim. I mean, you're, you're stuck at home. I mean, what are you going to do, complain? Uh, you're, you're, you're stuck at home. You're going to watch reruns. Uh, I noticed Pivotal today goes to 490 on Netflix. That's a new street high as we get the uh, the opening bell. Jim, you were soliciting acronyms on Twitter. I, yes. I liked Man Cave uh, from Microsoft, Man- Amazon, Man- NVIDIA. Ca- oh. Comcast, AMD, Verizon, Electronic Arts. Um, (laughs) That's brilliant. We talked about Amazon yesterday. That is is good. We talked about Amazon yesterday uh, at a new all-time high. Jeff Bezos is now worth $135 billion. And Eric Schmidt, uh, formerly of Google, talked about the degree to which we should be grateful for some of these services and the way they came along. Take a listen.
6: The benefit of these corporations, which we love to malign, Right. In terms of uh, the ability to communicate, the ability to deal with health, the ability to get information is profound. And I hope people will remember that when this thing is. Well, we wouldn't be here
7: today, for example.
6: That's right. And so let's be a little bit grateful that these companies uh, got the capital, did the investment, built the tools that we're using now and have really helped us out. Imagine having the same reality of this pandemic without
1: those
0: tools. Hmm. Fair, Jim?
1: Well, I mean, it's good and bad. I mean, I think if you run a a small business like uh, a lot of people do, uh, Amazon is not your friend. Every single one of these banks has this page which talks about uh, the companies that basically compete with Amazon. And I don't think anyone would agree with Eric Schmidt about that. I do think that, um, that tech, that Apple and Alphabet, when they came up with their contact tracing, which was dismissed instantly, was a brilliant plan to be able to make it so that you knew whether you got it from someone. Those guys are doing a terrific job. Uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm going to put tech in like maybe like the B. Plus. Unless you want to do Benioff, who is renting FedEx to bring PPE from uh, from China. I don't think that the tech has completely really uh, distinguished itself. I think the tech has ascended itself. Uh, I, I think that when this period's over, Amazon, uh, Walmart, they're going to be kings, and everybody else is going to be out of business. And you can use those parking lots to get to get tested by Abbott.
2: Um, Jim, yeah, you know well, there is a, 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 um, when our, it comes our, to
1: that's Jim Abbott. Sorry, <laughs>
0: so, sorry, guys. I was um, going to say, Jim, David, when, when, uh, yeah. we have a piece up on on JC uh sources to, to CNBC that they are looking into uh, bankruptcy protection. They've already closed right. 850 stores.
1: Yeah that's, yeah, that's that's, that's suboptimal. Uh, they're, they're in a lot of malls. You know, Simon Properties was downgraded yesterday and the stock was up three. I mean, yesterday was a weird day. There was a lot of negative news and the stocks went up. A lot of people left and they were really confused. I don't think they understand that the futures were uh, playing the role. I mean, It isn't like people sit there and say, you know what, I want to buy the futures, but I take out Simon Properties. It doesn't work like that. Everything moves up. Just like, look at today, everything moves down. Uh, and I think that we're kind of stuck in a binary world where the market's not really uh, that efficient. It's trying to be. I mean, yesterday it sent all the banks down because uh, Jamie Dimon said that we're not going to open up in three weeks. But uh, we have a market that's yeah. very binary right now. And I don't think the situation is as binary as the market's making it.
2: Well, he said severe recession, too, and a yeah. number of other things. The banks are taking it again pretty hard today. I'm looking uh, at the sampling. Didn't of course, you think he Bank of was America a downer, David? reported earnings.
1: He was yeah. Well, he
2: was a yeah. He was a he was a he was a diamond downer a little bit, but perhaps uh, being realistic in a way that maybe the broader market is is unwilling to accept, or just simply thinks the Fed is always going to be there in some fashion to support every asset class. Right. Um, I, you know, when it comes to retail uh, guys, I mean, J.C. Many people just think Jim they, this has accelerated what was already coming. Right. Certainly with J.C. It has not exactly been a stranger to financial distress or the idea that it was going to meet uh, that kind of distress. Look, if you really believed other in large the call, retailers,
1: you buy yeah. Ulta. OK, Ulta's down big. Ulta's uh, competed against Sephora. The thing that worked the best in JCPenney, Sephora. So maybe Sephora and JCPenney closes. Uh, now, obviously, when you buy makeup, that presumes you're going to go somewhere. But maybe you're doing selfies. Uh, but I, I think that is the winner if you're looking for someone uh, to play off the J- off of what was the inevitable closing of J.C. Penney. 100,000 people used to work there, David. I remember you reporting on the bonds. Remember that day you were putting on the bonds, and it was like it was like one of the worst deals yes. ever, and you said, wow, that's just a dangerous piece of paper. You actually, David, you made yes. a judgment. And I think that paper's worth what?
2: A lot less. And lot, they did oh, a hugely dilutive. Yeah. Of- Equity offering, I think, along the way there. This is a long time ago on JCP, of course. Which I remember know, when you broke been the story. Like well, ever since ever since Bill Ackman. Yeah, I know. Is Bill ever sad? Since Bill Ackman is moved in there sad? and Had Mr. Johnson put in? I don't
1: know if he's sad. I don't
2: know. I don't. I don't stay in close touch with him. Right?
1: He didn't get. He's not going to get the Donald Trump signed check in the mail.
2: No. He's not no, going to go to
1: Dollar General. No. He's not going to be. He's not going to be doing that. Yeah, not kidding. That's true. Yeah, I, the uh, Dollar General's got um, wipes.
2: On the subject of amazon and facebook and google uh guys you know we did talk about amazon of course because of the strength certainly of its overall business aws is seen perhaps as even more of a jewel than ever before but the advertising part of the business which has been growing dramatically and is an important profitable part of the business given the margins there and obviously more so at google and more so at facebook you know i do wonder given the reliance on small and medium-sized businesses to some extent in terms of advertising what the hit's going to be Ooh. for those companies in that area?
1: Oh, that's a good point. I know that uh, Facebook has been saying that things aren't so strong uh, and you, they can make it, they have a lot of eyeballs. Mon- they can't monetize them. But when things get be- if things get better, then Facebook might be the one to buy. Again, if you're pessimist, Facebook's the one to sell. If you think, like there was a fellow on this morning on Squawk who says, we're going to have a V. Uh, and that the third quarter is going to show growth. in the stock you'd buy is Facebook because that's the snapback. I, I'm not as bullish as that. I, I find it hard to believe that there's going to be a V. I, I do think some companies like United Health are saying things that make me feel better. Uh, they, they had a good quarter this morning. But then I also just feel like it, when, I, when Jamie Dimon speaks, a lot of people listen. I think he is as powerful a voice as anyone in politics. And that was the one that sent chills through my spine. Because he's a regular, he's a straight shooter, and it would have been it would have been advantageous for him to say things were going to get better. He just didn't do it, and uh, that cast a poll, and then it's following today. I think that was the most important conference call yesterday. It's bad.
0: Yeah, uh, you're right about UNH for sure. Uh, they beat by nine cents. Revenues ahead. They actually keep their full year guide. Uh, Jim, amazing. oil too is the other uh, oh. sort of downer uh, in the in the wake of that OPEC, OPEC Plus deal. Uh, a teenager once again, and now the IEA is saying that storage—we've been talking so much about at what point storage could actually reach capacity. They're talking in the coming weeks.
1: Isn't it funny that Exxon did that big deal? You say, well, why did they why they go and do a big bond deal if oil's going to rebound? And I, they, they knew. The companies to watch, by the way, are these pipeline companies. They're just dreamers. You take energy transfer, it's a gigantic one. Okay, it yields twenty percent. Is that sustainable? No. I do not think it is. How about Kinder Morgan? I'm sorry, that's the way it was pronounced in Washington yesterday. Now, Kinder Morgan, it's (laughs) 6.8%. I mean, can it work? I don't know. I mean, these pipelines, they're owned by, by used to be rich people. I say used to be because when they bought them, they were rich. This has been this group that has crushed rich people. And uh, I think these yield, I think the distribution is going to go down dramatically. It's something to watch because people start to talk about wealth effect. These stocks are owned by the wealthy, and they have been a disaster.
2: <clears throat> Guys, um, on the subject of oil and gas, a name that we followed, of course, closely is, is Occidental Petroleum. I don't know if you've seen this, but they're paying that dividend uh, in stock to Berkshire, <laughs> and it looks like Berkshire's already registered it for sale, no. 17.3 million shares. Prospectus supplement filing relates to the resale by the selling stockholders, affiliates of Berkshire, of up to 17.3 million shares of Oxy. So I, I think they paid them in the shares, and they registered them, and they're selling them.
1: Wow. No bottom fish there, huh? No uh, flounder? It's guess not. Mackerel? No.
2: No. Hmm. <laughs> Okay.
1: Flying Fish? Oxy's awful. I couldn't believe it bounced. Exxon's not so great. Only Chevron, if you want to. It's Chevron, it's Diamondback, it's EOG, uh, it's Parsley, which is on tonight on Mad Money, and it's Pioneer. Those are the only ones that I trust right here. And everybody else is just, it's, they're in some sort of scrum. I mentioned the ones that have good balance sheets that have growth. And all the rest, I think, are just uh, be my guest. Including Schlumberger, which I used to love. Just can't like that group. Remember ESG? That's not a stock symbol.
2: Yeah, these guys were
1: failing on. That. That's what kept <laughs> yeah, me out yeah. of them. ESG, what's that come up there?
2: I know. Well, yeah. that's why you said they were uninvestable they, to begin with. They're that's, even that more was your, uninvestable. That was your thesis.
1: This is the most uninvestable group that I've come across, and they found too much oil. There's no place to put the oil. Apache was the worst performer in the, in the uh, first quarter, and then it bounced very big. It's time to sell Apache. Uh, I think it's time to sell Oxy. I think it's time to sell any oil and gas pipeline, not to generalize, but they are all dangerous. These things do trade together in ETFs. Uh, so uh, sell, sell, sell. Sorry. I, I, just Sorry. Sorry.
0: Well, despite the yield on some of those names, Jim, and speaking of yield, um, once again, we have a a very large name. In this case, it's Procter upping the dividend again uh, by 6% and moving the earnings up uh, to Friday, which is uh, earlier than we expected. Of course, that comes on the heels of uh, the other move by J&J yesterday
1: with a similar uh, percentage increase. I buy Procter right here. I mean, J&J yesterday was a rather remarkable thing. Before they announced their earnings, they announced the dividend, the 6, 6% plus dividend. I think one of the things that's happening this earnings period, can you raise your dividend? Buy. Can you? Will your dividend maybe be cut? Sell. I listened to the Wells Fargo call. Wolf and I had a little bit. It's Wilford Frost. He and I had a little bit of difference. I felt that the dividend, that, that Charlie Scharf, the CEO, gave me very little confidence about the dividend. I mean, he gave me very little confidence about anything because he, he doesn't own, it's not his problem. He comes in, he can do what he wants. But when it comes to Procter, I mean, that's, Proctor's as good as the government check that you're about to get. Better. <laughs> it's better. Procter announced a dividend early. What does that say? They get the zeitgeist of the moment. If you can pay a dividend and increase it, that's a stock to own. If you have to cut the dividend, no thank you. There it is. That's the, th- the earning season in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Jim, speaking of Wilf, uh, let's get across the room because I know he's been listening to some of these calls. Wilf, what do you got?
7: Well, I also just mentioned on the dividend uh, before I get to, to the script uh, the Bank of America's uh, chairman and CEO, Brian Moynihan, all but confirmed it just on the call, saying that even if, in terms of the payout ratio, it's gone from 25, 30% up to 40% payout ratio, they've discussed it with the board. They still got three, four times cover uh, for the dividend. Uh, and I thought that the CFO, of Wells also really clearly confirmed a commitment to the dividend on closing Bell yesterday uh, as well. But let's get uh, to the key factor that we've been comparing against all of the banks uh, of where they stand relative to each other in terms of provisions for bad loans. Uh, here we have their quarterly provisions in dollar terms. Also, perhaps more importantly to compare them, uh, how they stand in terms of their total reserves relative to their total loans. Loans City the biggest increase uh, this quarter, and the biggest level. Their call starts soon, but some key factors that have come out of the other calls. This is for Q1 as at at the end of the quarter. It could rise from here. I'll come back to that point at the end. Uh, It would be worse if not for the government stimulus measures. Uh, the standout areas of concern so far have been within the consumer credit cards, within commercial. It's been uh, real estate, retail uh, and energy. Goldman Sachs, by the way, on this measure would be about 2.5 percent, but they're not a major lender yet. We're talking about hundreds of millions of write downs for them, not billions. That said, if you're hoping for Goldman Sachs's overall earnings to benefit from low lending and high exposure to trading, it didn't really play out. The bottom line there being that even with a good business mix, caution, dominates uh, volatility during this quarter. I did speak to Stephen Scher, their CFO. Uh, One standout comment, he said, Q1 was all about technicals and trading environments. He says, we're past that, in part because of some of those stimulus measures. Q2 to him feels about uh, focusing on the fundamentals. It will lead to layoffs, it will lead to credit losses, but company specifics uh, will really come through in a way they didn't in Q1. On that note, if we look at the big banks year to date, you are starting to see some differentiation. We could have snapshot any time frame. Investment banks now performing better than the lenders. And within the lenders, there is some performance difference uh, based on whether you think they're safer uh, or not. And I'll just come back to what I just alluded to on the call. Moments ago, the CFO of of, of Bank of America, Paul D'Onofrio, said, in terms of your question uh, about what it's likely uh, to be the reserve build in the future, if we thought we were going to have to add more reserves in the future, we would have put it in to this quarter. That was a different theme compared to J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo yesterday.
1: Well, the uh, line in the the Goldman Sachs release, significant net losses across debt securities and equity investments reflected significant mark-to-market net losses from investments in public equities, significantly lower net gains from investments in
7: private equities. Is private equity in trouble? That's a big question. I mean, Goldman Sachs, you're referring to, of course, their a formerly business called investing and lending, which they've now spread out across right. uh, different business lines, and there were some write-downs. There is private equity in, in trouble. I mean, clearly you don't have to mark to market uh, if you're a private equity company, so th- it's not like they're having to take the losses in the way that the banks are taking the losses this quarter. Clearly private equity values will fall in the same way that public equity. It's just not a, a, day-to-day, uh, a day-to-day kind of mark-to-market business. I, I do think, though, that, Jim, this isn't really answering your question, but it raises a significant point about these write-downs we're seeing from the banks. They're huge numbers, uh, and they are very much painting the forecast that the banks think significant numbers of companies and individuals may go bankrupt in the months ahead. That said, they are not cash charges. They are write-downs that they book for this earnings, and if in six months or 12 months, the economy's uh, looking a little bit better again, then they unwind it and they book a big profit in a later quarter. So I do think that's an important balance to to factor in. Uh, At the moment, we're seeing a massive earnings uh, write downs for the banks. Are we yet seeing a a big asset uh, balance sheet write down? We don't know the answer to that question yet. The share price, though, Jim, continues to suggest the latter, if we look at the year-to-date performances again for the big banks, a handful of them are, are, are approaching uh, year-to-date declines of 50 percent again. Uh, over 40 percent declines year-to-date for, for three or four of those names, which, again, suggests a very, very dire long-term outlook, not just a bad quarterly earnings performance. Wow.
0: Yeah, Jim, I mean, that comment by Moynihan, if we, if we thought we had to do it, we would have done it this quarter, is interesting because people were looking at Citi and JPM at 2.9 percent of their loan book, 2.3, and saying they might be closer to the end of this process, that would be net bullish relative to peers. Is that view misguided?
1: No, I, boy, these stocks are so so hated. I I felt that we're further along, but they, they are all swamped by the PPP, and the, those they, the small business loans could be a problem. I I think that. When I look at what the loan book is, I thought Bank of America had a pretty good loan book. I didn't think it was that bad. But remember, these, people think we're going to recession. It doesn't really matter what they say. If they're going to recession, people don't want to own these stocks. And when they have to talk about the dividend, people then presume, well, therefore, maybe the dividend's in trouble. So I don't want to make light of this situation. Uh, the bank stocks are trading as if the bank company, what the bankers are saying is irrelevant and that we're back into a 2007 situation. I don't think we are. But uh, that's not what the market's judgment is.
2: You know, uh, Jim, to your, your question in, uh, on private equity, it is an interesting time for private equity overall. Uh, clearly, they are focused on their portfolios of existing businesses. They have uh, been notably left out of many of the aid programs available thus far, at least, in terms of the CARES Act, in terms of the Fed's Main Street lending facility, Uh, And so the question will be, do they re-equitize some of their businesses with existing dry powder? Or how do they go about dealing uh, with weakness that they are certainly seeing in some of the businesses across the portfolios that they have? Uh, But it it does bear watching uh, overall private equity and private companies. I mean, we don't talk about it that often, guys. Yesterday, we were spending some time talking a bit about WeWork and what would appear to be a pretty... Bleak future for that company. Airbnb is another one worth mentioning. It wasn't that long ago. It was a $40 billion value or so, expected to come public perhaps as soon as what the end of this year, I think. Yep. Uh, and now, Jim, you know, they just they just borrowed another billion dollars, but you could imagine that those values are nowhere near what they once were because people are not traveling and they don't particularly want to stay in an Airbnb right now if they don't know that. Who was there before them
1: no i mean look i think it's a clorox wipe situation it's a boat situation i i i, th- I listened to carnival cruise yesterday and i thought Geez, are you kidding me why the cdc won't even i i doubt the cdc will let you go if people stranded all over the place these are, are literally the travel and leisure situation is is just very very grim uh, on the private equity, it's interesting that just three months ago, if you talk to younger people, they didn't want to go into investment banking. They didn't want to go to Facebook. They didn't want to go to Google. They wanted to go in private equity. And they are often the, uh, the equivalent of the shine boy, so to speak, buying stocks. Uh, private equity is the one that I'm most worried about because they're incredibly levered, particularly in the oil market. They're all over in the oil market.
0: Yeah, Jim? Um, We're hovering just above session lows early in the session, oils back above 20. Let's get to Bob Asani this morning. Hey, Bob.
6: Morning, guys. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Uh, We are in the same problem areas that we've been in for the past couple of months. Let's take a look at the weak sectors because we've been here before here. Energy is the weak point again. Banks, uh, Russell 2000, small caps, industrials. And consumer staples doing generally better along with healthcare. We have seen this for the this movie many times. Just take a look at what the weak sectors are. The markets are already telling you what the problems are, and it's emerging today. So energy is 40-50% off their highs, banks 40%, the Russell. This is the same thing I just put up. Industrials consumer staples are outperforming, down 7%, and healthcare down 7%. So the market's already telling you what areas it doesn't like: energy banks, small caps and industrials here. So where are we right now in the downturn here? February 20th to March 23rd. I always call that the panic phase. We were down 34%. Then we started turning around the next day, March 24th. Now we're 27% off the lows here. And now what are we in now? I, the frustration phrase where the markets are going to be choppy. Just look what we've got today. Look at the news today. You heard Wolf talking about the bank loan losses, high reserves that are out there. Uh, we heard the March retail sales, the worst on record, down 8.7%. 8. 18-year lows on oil. Does this sound like great news for you And even the next month or two? There's a reason the markets are down today, so just bear in mind, this is that frustration phrase, The guys were talking about dividends, Johnson & Johnson surprising everyone with a raise in Procter & Gamble. Those are anomalies. We have seen a lot of dividend cuts and we've seen a lot of dividend eliminations. We've seen them from Darden, from Ford, from Hilton, from Nordstrom, from Delta, from Boeing. There's a long list. And the list, frankly, in my opinion, is going to get longer. There are an awful lot of lists being circulated right now around uh, on Wall Street about companies whose cash flow has dropped dramatically, whose prices have dropped dramatically, and whose dividends are sky high. Do you think that's not an issue? You should see the lists that are out there. I can show you some of the names that are out there. Kohl's, for example, has got nearly a 15% dividend yield. Schlumberger, Uh, 13%. uh, Halliburton is right up there as well. Uh, Ethan Allen, many of the retailers are up there. Uh, Hotel companies like host hotels are up. Airlines are smaller, but still elevated a little bit. You'll notice something about this. Uh, It tends to fall into a particular group. It's not across the board. So it's retailers, energy, hotels, and airlines. Guys, they're talking about roughly a 10% decline in dividends right now for the year, but again,
2: concentrated in particular sectors. David, back to you all right bob thank you uh bob asani as we uh, take a look at an s p that is as bob said hovering near the lows of the session uh 2776 below
0: 2800 again a lot more squawk on the street coming right back those one month highs getting wound back here as breadth is uh, negative march industrial production worst since 1946 March retail sales to the worst on record year on year. A lot more Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. All
1: right, let's get to Jim and stop trading. All right, Carl. sometimes you get a little down because it is difficult to fathom where we are with this disease. But my hope is J&J and lost in the call yesterday. It can produce up to 900 million coronavirus vaccine doses by April 2021 if trials go well. And that's the key thing. Uh, If we really want to get out of this morass, we need to count on J&J, who is ahead of everybody, including Glaxo and and Sanofi. That's the one to watch. And uh, if we get anything that tells us that this thing is ahead of schedule, then people are going to want to own stocks. So I don't want to be cheerleader. No pom-poms. It's a difficult time. Uh, But J&J is – Alex Gorski is the hope right here. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but it's up to him in some ways.
0: Uh, yeah, Jim, you um, had Glaxo on last night. Ask you to reflect on that and then talk about what you got tonight.
1: Well, Glaxo, to get together with, with uh, Sanofi, shows look, the, these companies are this a French company and a British company that tend not to be together and they are together. Everybody wants a vaccine. Without a vaccine, the, all of the things we talk about yes, we want social distance, uh, which is now physical distance. We absolutely want masks, we want testing. But I think what we really want is a vaccine. And if you can get a vaccine, which many people say is impossible for three to five years, then life might return to the way it was. And we won't be thinking about Bank of America and loan losses. Just won't. Uh, Matt Gallagher is the most biggest realist when it comes to where oil prices are going. Uh, Ernie Garcia, Carvana is on fire. Got to find out what that what that is. Again, no cheerleading, no pom pom. Need to see vaccine uh, but a lot of things are in, in the balance here, and it, it can be beleaguering to watch the bank stocks go down after what I think they did a good job, but I can't sure can't lead it at all. Three to five years,
2: Jim? Three to uh, five, your, years, three to to five years
1: for a vaccine? Some, the bears are saying three to five years, and there, a lot of the bears have uh, a lot of street cred here because a lot of people think that this thing can come back in various forms, uh, that it's really very crafty. I hate to, to demonize it, make it, you know, make it too human, but it is crafty illness. It really is. Yeah.
0: We'll see you tonight, Jim. Okay, At 9, thanks 6 very p.m. Much. Eastern Time.
5: You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.